0: Daniel 6, 1 through verse 18. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The, royals administ- the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king will issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty issued a decree and made it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, then Daniel learned that the decree has been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the. went where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him before his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repelled. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pay no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation may not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep.
1: So beware the satraps. That's the message, right? Yeah, yeah we don't... Those bad guys. Uh, one of the things that helps us today, so you know, every week uh, as we draw closer to uh, November 8th, there it's just really good to remember certain things. And one of the things, I love to read history books. I just uh, read a history book on the history of the uh, great earthquake in Lisbon in te- uh, 1755. I mean, that, you know, who's into that? Um, go ahead, tell me. Get a life, you know? But one of the things I, I love about history is it puts the present day into perspective. So earlier this year, I read a, um, the, the biography of Andrew Alexander Hamilton that has that the, the musical is based on. And if you want to you know, spend lots and lots and lots of hours, uh, take a crack at that. It's amazing. But one of the things that comes through in that book is that, and, and it's really helpful today is that the political world or climate that we have today really isn't that different than it was with the founding fathers. I'm not kidding you, folks. You talk about scandal and factions and lying and schemes and just, you know, nitpicky, petty jealousies. It was all there. They just didn't have social media. But it was all there. And uh, it, it, it helps me to realize that you know things seem so bad or so different today, but it really it, it hasn't fundamentally shifted. Maybe what's shifted is just the ways that we can access this stuff. So uh, I, I, it, it, that just gives me hope, I guess. That you know, um, and, and if the world is really, really hard on people who are utopian, do we have any ex-utopians here? don't am I the only one that you you know when you were younger you you were idealistic about how this world was going to be and now you've gotten a little bit you know harder and that's the trick is to not get you know get too hard remember last week soft on the outside firm in the center that's what we're after so um the, and and one of the things that with we're going to get to Daniel here in a sec but with Daniel a, a public servant can't we all say that it's really... Take, all, take away all the, the, the junk, right? But you, can't we all just agree that it's really, really hard to be in public service? It's just hard. I and mean, can you get through... I mean, he's going to be, we'll see here in a minute, a lifelong public servant. Can you get through a, even a year of public service without being criticized, blamed, accused, uh, your character assassinated... In this world, with social media, can that happen? Is it possible? No matter how good you are, is that even possible? Which is why Peter says to us, honor and pray for those who are over you in authority. And there's no exceptions to that, folks. Not in 1700s when our country was founded, not today, not back in the biblical time, and there's just no exceptions but to honor and pray for those over you, as best you can, okay, okay? So Peter, I'm going to do a little, Peter wrote his letter in the first century A.D., Daniel's life that we we heard read uh, from, from, and very good job, Lisa, very good job, yep, you got it, and uh, that was in roughly 600 B.C., and so uh, Peter is all about teaching us how to live in exile, in a place where it's not really home. And then uh, we've talked about that in the series about how Christendom was one, that time in history where the Christian faith was given privilege within culture, but that those days are now over, and if we use culture war tactics to get that back, we're going to hurt the gospel. If you care about the gospel, you've got to care about the impact of uh, culture war-type fighting and politics upon the gospel, because the gospel is the center. It is the great pearl of great price. It is, the, it is that which is priceless. It is the blood of Christ. And I don't want to do anything that would take away from that. That's, I mean, that's the basics of where we've been. Now, Daniel comes into the story because he's such a good example of how to live in exile. He does it just Almost, I mean, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd say better than anybody. Maybe Joseph in the Old Testament would be another one. But just an outstanding example of how to live in exile. And we looked at that last week when he was 14 years old, and we're going to look at it today. And then we have two more weeks in this series. We'll be coming back to Peter, and I'll reference Peter today. But we're going to look at Daniel today when he's 80 years old. So kind of the bookends of his life, chapter 1, chapter 6. Daniel at age 80. And we'll see how he has turned out. Well, you've read the... You've, yeah. And it, we, I couldn't read... I mean, it a long reading, but you know he doesn't get eaten by the lion. Just in case you're wondering, he does not get eaten by... Spoiler alert, but, you know... Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to look at... This is our little outline. Keep us focused. Keep me focused, anyway. The setup, uh, the trap and then the outcome. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, and one of those was Daniel, and the satraps were made accountable so that the king might not suffer loss. So uh, if, you look, if you think about this, Daniel is one of the three, and then he's going to be uh, the exceptional one of those three. All right. So some things about Daniel here, uh, before we get into it, is that he has—he's a prophet. I mean, that's his—this this call, hes called Daniel the prophet. You knew that, right? I mean, I'm—I'm t- I'm telling you anyway. He's—he was a prophet, one of four major prophets that we have in the Old Testament. But and he didn't like like Ezekiel and um, and say Jeremiah. He didn't. Uh, he, he had a secular job. But what's a secular job? You all, Most of you have secular jobs. But if you know anything about the Bible, there's no such thing as a secular job, really, because wherever you are, it's, it's wherever you are, because you are in Christ, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not secular. So um, let me go to Jeremiah here for a second. This will help explain Daniel's attitude. This is from Gen- uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, which... Uh, Verses 4 through 7 condensed a bit. But this is what the Lord uh, Almighty says to all those who I carried into exile. So this is to the exile. This is their, their voice or what they are to hear. They went from Jerusalem to Babylon, about a thousand miles. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Okay. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And then pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So, now, what you don't see here is go and fight the culture wars. That's, you, you, Je, Jeremiah says, don't, you're not, that's what they were tempted to do, and you, if you read the Bible carefully, that's what, they, that's what they try to do, is to rebel against these pagan kings. that were. And, and God himself is saying, no, go there and live. Live faithfully and pray for that city. Pray for Seattle. Don't fight against it. Pray for it. <laughs> and as best you can, honor those who are over you. So we get the same message again about how to live in a foreign place. And Peter says, we are, we are foreigners. We are strangers in this land. So uh, Jeremiah 20. Now Daniel does that really, really well. And one of the reasons that he does it, and this gets into our spirituality, is that he has something that, uh, I don't know, I think maybe it's Tim Keller who calls confident pluralism. We live in a pluralistic world today, and when you run into people who are different from you, you can either get defensive, you can feel threatened, all of that stuff, but the degree to which you feel threatened and defensive is the degree to which you really don't believe in your God. Do you have to defend God? I mean, he's God. how do you defend God? He's your defender. Who do you think you are? And so he, uh, Daniel has this attitude of, of my source of strength isn't located in this culture. And the reason I can be a blessing to this culture is because my source of strength is outside this culture. And I have confidence in that. I mean, I just, you know, he just has this, this confidence in this pluralistic setting where there's, there's pagan gods everywhere. And he's not going to fight them. He's just, you know, my dad used to tell me in business, he said, if you have a good product, you don't have to put your competition down. Why, why do you have, you know, and that's not, it's not good. Daniel's got a good product. He's got God, the living God on his side. He's just, and he's confident. And you'll see it in the story here. All right, so we have that uh, in Daniel. And then uh, we read verse three about uh, his life. It says, now Daniel was so distinguished Uh, He so distinguished himself, and he had such exceptional qualities. So I want to just introduce to you what I've used over the years to. uh, This is how I do the hiring, and basically hiring and firing stuff, whether it's been in the business world or in what I do now. We're doing a search committee thing, right? Or a search team right now. We use this little thing right here. This little uh, paradigm. Are they competent? Is Daniel competent? He distinguished himself. With exceptional qualities. He was gifted. Not only was he gifted, you know, he applied those gifts. Now you think of one of your kids who's really, really smart, but they're not applying themselves. Well, he, he applies himself. So God has given him a lot of skill, and he applies himself. And then character. Uh, the next verse, verse 4, it says that. Uh, uh, at this, uh, the administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Does Daniel have strong character, good character? You see, is it, and that's what you want. You want somebody who has great competence and great character. And then the third thing you want is they've got to get along with people, Right? You want somebody who has good chemistry with others. And if they have great competence and character, but they don't get along with people, that's, that's not a good thing, because I don't want to be involved with a lot of petty stuff going on. Okay, so here's where, here's where it all breaks down for Daniel. He, he does not have good chemistry with these other 123, or other 122, I guess. There's the the three that he's on top of those and then on down, and there's a lot of scheming going on. There's bad blood. It's not good. Now, let me read for you uh, what they, they they are trying to do to him, and and uh, we'll get to the fullness of it here in just a sec, but um, they try to find uh, something wrong with him. They can't find it. They And... and the hostility, it, takes, it has two sources. Think of it this way. At first, they try to nail him. Uh, they're hostile towards him because they think that he is like them. In other words, they're, they're a bit cynical. They've been in the political world themselves for a while, and they know that the way you get ahead in the political world is by cheating and being political and scheming, and talking behind other people's backs, and doing power grabs. That's the world of Machiavellian politics, right? The realpolitik. That's the way it works. And they try to find something in all of that. Uh, This guy, he's got to be on steroids. Something's wrong with him that we can find. And they look, and they can't find it. They think that Daniel, first of all, is like them, and all they have to do is find something that if somebody looked at their lives, they would find. Kind of cynical, but that's what they do. They couldn't find anything, so then they get hostile towards Daniel because he doesn't have what they have. Now this is called, theologically, the mystery of iniquity. Fancy name for people get jealous of other people. Do you want to know where petty jealousies come out in? More than any place else? It's probably in the world of the PhD Academy. I mean, I have two... A son and a daughter-in-law that are in that world. And I mean you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that goes on there. So it's not about being smart, it's about the human heart. And and these guys are, are smart, but their hearts are darkened, and here's the way the mystery of iniquity works. Uh, well John says it best in his gospel, John chapter one verse five. That the light shines in the world, but the darkness cannot comprehend it so darkness sees light and what what do you think happens you feel exposed so they feel exposed therefore they hate it Jesus says further in John's gospel chapter 15 that if you love me the world will hate you if you belong to me the world will hate you hates a strong word but that's what Jesus said it's the mystery of iniquity it's, it's an a amazing thing. Now, it wasn't so true in Christendom, because, you know, we are more or less a Christian culture, but it's becoming more and more true in the days that we are living in now. And I could tell you stories uh, of friends that have felt that. And, but let me go to my own story, because, you know, I was once an atheist, and I still remember what I felt. The mystery of iniquity was alive in me. I remember being at the University of Washington. Blessed be the Huskies. And then... Uh, <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> it's just football but i remember in those days where uh in in classroom situations where somebody's faith would come out and i remember just hating and i mean i don't mean this in a way that you know i'm not trying to dramatize it but there was hate in my heart for that person, and here's why. I always felt, and I shouldn't say always, because I'm going to give you an exception clause here in a sec, but I felt like they were being arrogant, smug, and naive. And if you think about it, whoever you, whatever you are, if, it's, if you, watch, uh, you know, watch a football game and you think the, the, the other team is arrogant, smug, and, or, and naive, or whatever, but you, you have this hatred for that type of thing. And I had that toward Christians. And it was, it was deep. However, every once in a while, I was attracted to Christians. Isn't that weird? I was attracted to Christians, which may have something to do with why I'm talking about this right now to all of you. That one thing led to another kind of deal? But that's the truth. Is, and we, we talked about this. when P- Peter brings this up as well in his letter. Is that If you live for Christ, one of two things will tend to happen. You will either, be, you will either suffer for your faith or you will draw other people to you. To Christ. They will be attracted by you or repulsed by you. But it's the mystery of iniquity as to why uh, darkness kind of doesn't do well with, with light. So we got great, and think of it this way. Daniel has great competence and he has great character, but because his competence and his character are so high above all the others, there's bad chemistry. And it's just the way it is. And you that's just the way it is. It's going to happen. And uh, we'll see here how Daniel responds to it in just a sec. All right, the trap. It, it, it gets the trap. Let me just go back to that. thats So you know we're on track here. Verses, and we'll go through these verses fairly quickly. Uh, So the administrators and the satraps, verse 6, went as a group to the king, and they said, O King Darius, live forever. You're not talking about sucking up, you know. I mean, how many times do they have to say that, you know? (laughs) Flattery. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed. Now, that's not quite true, is it? No, it's not quite true. But, you know, when you lie, a little lie, big deal. Daniel didn't agree. So they haven't all agreed, but they say they have. And the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, <laughs> shall be thrown into the lion's den. Um, the, the, if we go back to verse 5, it says the only way we're ever going to get anything on this guy is that it, it it'll have to have something to do with the law of his God. So they think, and they may be right, that... The chink in the armor for Daniel, if we're going to catch him, we're going to catch him in something to do with the law of his God. And Darius is susceptible to all of this, kind of sad. Darius comes across in the story as being uh, kind of naive. Like, you know, you'd think he'd, you know, you know, have you ever had a boss that didn't know, like you're the one that somebody's taking advantage of, they should know that, they should be on their toes for that, but he's just out to lunch on this. But he's good-hearted, he likes it. Daniel, as we see here, and uh, but he falls for their flattery, and now we see how what happens with Daniel now Daniel, when he learned that the decree had been published, i wonder here's here's the question I want to go back to Peter for a sec. Peter makes a statement in his letter that um, is is pretty amazing he says do not and by the way, it's not a suggestion or a comment, it's a, it's a commandment. Do not be surprised when you suffer for your faith. Do not be surprised. That's a commandment to you if, as the word of God comes to you through Peter. Do not be surprised. Do you think Daniel was surprised? That's my question. I mean, he'd been, he's 80 years old now. You learn a few things. He's been around these satraps for a while. He knows what, he knows what the political world is like. Is he surprised? Now, if you get surprised, if you get caught and like, I can't believe those, what those guys are doing, have you ever heard yourself, I just can't believe what they did to me? And if you're surprised by that, you're, you're going to tend to get cynical and hard. You may lose your faith because how could God allow that to happen to me? I mean, I've been doing everything right and this happened to me. And then you can get into self pity and there's nothing more toxic than self-pity, and you see yourself as a victim, and it's not a good witness, what's attractive about somebody in self-pity? Name something. I don't know what it is. And, and uh, all of that, it's just, he doesn't, but Daniel doesn't go there, but he could have. So what does he do? Uh, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about confident pluralism. You have to have a source outside of your immediate context to have that confidence. He has it. Jerusalem to him is where God dwells, so he prays toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Thanks to God! I don't know. As he had done before, and then he asked God for help. And that's, um, yeah, he needs help. So what he doesn't do, he doesn't lash out. He doesn't wimp out. I mean, he could have wimped out too and just not done what he always did. He got down on his knees, which means literally that he exercised his spiritual muscles. Posture is important to prayer. He got down on his knees and he prayed as he had always done. Now he's 80 years old now. I don't know what always means, but... It's a habit in his life. I love this quote from uh, Annie Dillard. How you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life. (laughs) It breaks it down, doesn't it? I I know that it's just so obvious, but it's it's got this profound depth in that quote. And you see it here in Daniel's life. How you spend your days, that's how he had spent his days. And that's how he spent his life. He is a person who prayed three three times a day. And he just keeps doing it. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Now here's uh, where the other guys come in, and they are uh, what I would say uh, uh, spiritually voyeuristic. How's that? They want to spy on Daniel. Uh, If you read Hamilton's book, you'll find things just like this. It's really amazing. But they, they spy. They go and they spy out Daniel while he's praying. Ah, we got you. Now here's where they were wrong. And this is really, really important to get. Remember what they said that they were going to catch Daniel on? Something to do with the law of his God. Now, there is no place in the law where it says you must get down on your knees three times a day and face Jerusalem. No place at all. Not at all. Just know that. It was all, this is what they missed. This is what the mystery of iniquity can do to you. When your eyes are darkened, you cannot understand what people of faith do. They get down on their knees and they pray. However, many times a day, because they love God and they're dependent on God. And that's, that's the reality of it. But the, when, you, when a person not of faith, like, you know, when I was back there in those classrooms, I didn't get that. I don't know if those people were smug and arrogant and naive. I, that's just me projecting myself onto them. I don't know. Maybe they were. But uh, I mean, I have met some smug and arrogant Christians along the way. None of you, of course. Yeah, preach it, brother. Yeah, <laughs> spiritual voyeurist, and then Darius is trapped. Uh, he's trapped in uh, his place, and you know, you know he's kind of stuck there. But he—you can see here—his heart wants. He wants the best. He feels bad. He really feels bad. But when you feel bad and you don't really do anything, I don't know if he was a god, you'd think he could do something, you know? But he doesn't do anything. But even then, he says, may your God protect you. In verse 16. May your God protect you or rescue you. And then we get to the outcome. And uh, it's, 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 of course, a beautiful ending. And... Um, Daniel is, is free. He's set free. And let, let, me, let me read that to you because it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know if, if God's word intended humor, but it, it's here. Uh, let's see, where is that? At first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried. Now kings in that culture, that's not their, they don't hurry. I mean, if you're a king, you, don't, you walk slow because you're the king, you know. But they hurried to, the, hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? It's a question to which there's no, that you, you can't answer no to. Does that make sense? I mean, if the lions had him, how's he going to answer no? So the answer is either silence or yes. That's—I know—that's my humor coming out. I don't know if you guys get it, but I think that's kind of silly. And uh, there it is. So Daniel is set free. And if you think about it, Darius is set free because now he doesn't have to act like a god for 30 days. And who wants that job? Some of you should give up that job description. You know, it's not good. It's best to say I'm not God and I'm not in control and just you know be dependent on Him. And then the other thing that happens is that the guys who set the trap are trapped. And you can use the little phrase, the satraps got trapped, All right. And then the audience breaks out into applause, don't you think? I mean, that's in a good movie, that's the way it works. <laughs> because, um, you know, everything's reversed at the end. But, so it has, a, it has a great ending to it. Now let's just take this try to try to make connect some dots here. Uh so Peter let's go back to Peter. Peter continually in his letter and we I'm not going to go there but we'll be back there next week and the week after and we've already been there if you've been around. So in his letter though he he makes this connection between the individual Christian living in roughly uh what would that be 60 uh, A.D., first century. And the average Christian is suffering for their faith. And the way he encourages those Christians is by saying, look, Christ suffered for his righteousness. I mean, it was his, by, being, by being so competent and having such character and such faith and trust in his Father, he suffered. So look at him and let him be your model. And, of course, not only look at him, but absorb him because you're going to need the, the resources of heaven to, do, to go through what he went through. Don't be surprised when you suffer. Remember Peter said that. So he draws that, that little connection, and uh, he does that over and over again in his letter. I don't know how many times he does it, but it, it maybe like ten times in his letter. So if we think about Jesus, and we think about the, the competence, how competent was Jesus? I mean, do you, do you even want to try to answer that one? Like I one of the, the great things that Dallas Willard says that I appreciate is he's the smartest man who ever lived. Now he's that's the minimum. At minimum he's the smartest man who ever lived. He knows more about science, biology, geology, physics. I mean, just he just he knows more. History, philosophy. He knows more. He's competent. And just think of the works he did. Who can match him in what he did, you know? and healing people and the, the, just the great things he did. So he's, he's super competent. Let's just put it that way. How about character? I mean, just tons of character. Do the right thing, regardless of the cost, you know? And with grace, not just character. I mean, last week I said this, beware of people who only have character but no grace. And Jesus Christ, I mean, he has grace. I mean, it's just that perfect combination. Thank you. But chemistry, not so much. I mean, people loved him, but they hated him. Like Daniel, it's the same stuff. They loved him, but they hated him. They were drawn to him. They were repelled. Nobody was bored with him, not at all. He he just provoked responses of one way or the other, extreme responses. People running to him and falling down at their knees and running away from him. Just all of that kind of stuff. So chemistry was not... His thing in the way it was. I mean, it's the same thing with Daniel. And then you had these bad guys, these satraps. you call them that, but they were the ones who conspired, who set the trap. And ultimately, we know that he was taken in and he was killed and he was trapped. And the mystery of iniquity, there were people who loved that, who put out the candle, and the candle was out. But then... We're here on a Sunday morning, folks. Sunday morning is symbolic of the resurrection. When God reversed the trap, and uh, heaven and earth are turned upside down. Now here's the thing. Don't be surprised when you suffer suffering, but don't be surprised when you experience the resurrection power of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, Daniel, for the story that is told. That is way more than a children's story. That is a story that we can we can learn from and live into. And uh, the character of Daniel, Lord, we pray for that. Even more, we would pray for the character of Christ. And to, to know that we're going to have responses that are both positive and negative as we do that. To just know that—that's part of the deal. And to be able to live with that and and to understand how to live in exile in a place that is certainly not our home. And our hearts cry out for a better place. And just to have that rock-solid faith that we believe in a better place that is for sure, for real. It's more real than what we can see around us. Lord, come and do your work in our hearts. I mean, that's where we need to submit to you, Lord, is in our hearts. And so we offer our hearts to you now. I pray that each one of you will say, Jesus, take my heart. Just take my heart. Take my heart, Lord, and heal it and fill it and give me wisdom for life that I might live for you in this place of exile faithfully. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.